you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. God's grace is amazing. It's, it's His grace that saves us. It's His grace that changes us. That's really what this whole uh, series, This Changes Everything, is, is all about. That, that the gospel of Jesus Christ changes us from the inside out. That we, we don't look at anything the same anymore because we've given a new heart. We've been given a new eyes. Everything changes. And so if you have a Bible with you, you can open it up to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. The ushers are coming up and down the aisle right now. If you don't have a Bible, you can uh, open up God's Word. Our uh, our series is going to lead us now over the next couple of weeks into uh, marriage and singleness and relationships. That the gospel has transformed not just where we will spend eternity, but it also transforms how we live our lives as a single person or as a married person. Now, a lot of the times in church and many times in this church, we... We talk a lot about marriage, and uh, uh, too often we just sort of give a sermon on marriage, and then we always do, oh, there's some single people, so we need to say, okay, all you single people, you can listen in too, and there's some good things, but hardly ever is there a sermon on singleness where the married people get told, where they get to listen in as well. And here's the truth, guys. We all started out single. Adam and Eve were not created married. They were created fully in the image of God as full and complete individual human beings, as singles, and then they were married. And so we're going to look at this this important subject. We're going to uh, dive into, we're going to start with singleness because that's where all of us began. And some of us are there right now, and some of us aren't there, but we wish we were. And we're going to talk about that next week, about the importance of commitment in marriage. And so we need to to get comfortable with talking about singleness. Our married people need to be comfortable talking with single people. Our single people need to be comfortable talking with one another and with married couples about the, the challenges and some of the opportunities that have been given to people who are living a life of singleness at this present time. We need to stop sort of talking like, you know, so how's, how's your singleness? Like it's like it's a rash or something. Like there's some, like, like it's okay to talk about. And, and we're going to see, in, in, in some people are called to singleness, that, that singleness is, is a gift that God gives, whether it's, it's given for someone's whole life or it's for a season. If you are in a season of singleness right now, then that is a gift that God has given you and that you need to steward that gift. So we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. One of the reasons why marriage tends to come up more in the Bible is because the Bible talks more about marriage than it does about singleness. And 1 Corinthians 7 is one of the only passages in God's word where singleness is specifically addressed. Now, it's addressed in the context of Corinth. And we need to understand that Corinth was a very complicated place. It was a church that was just messed up on a number of levels. And that's going to play in. Just to give you a a picture, a window into the situation. Chapter 7 has dealt with the issue of marriage and divorce engagement, parenting, circumcision, slavery, widowhood, and now 
singleness, all of these topics have been, have been addressed. And so let's uh, give attention to the reading of God's word. I'm going to read from uh, verses 25 to 35 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. Verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none, and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, and those who buy as, they, as those who had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you, but to promote good order and to secure our undivided devotion to the Lord. As we look at this passage, as we look at singleness and marriage, God in his word through the Apostle Paul is going to warn us of sort of three places where we can get tripped up. Three ways where we can sort of get off our path or overemphasize something that isn't as important as we might think. And we're going to give, get some clarity of how in our singleness, how we can walk and move forward and pursue Jesus Christ. Now, I understand that this is a difficult topic. I understand that there are people in this room who are single, and they're single for a number of reasons. Some of them are single because they're kind of just coming out of school, and they're just thinking about dating and marriage, all of that. There's other people in this, uh, in this, in this congregation who are struggling because they've lost their spouse, and who are, uh, who are grieving. There are other people who are wrestling with the guilt or the shame or the baggage that comes with having a, a previous marriage that ended in divorce or separation and they're trying to make sense of how can I faithfully move forward now with that a part of my history. And so we're going to need a lot of grace today. We're going to need God to really help and to unite us as a church. And this is not just a message for single people. This is a message for for all of us because we are supposed to rejoice when others rejoice. We are supposed to mourn when others mourn. We are supposed to bear one another's burdens. We're supposed to benefit from one another's gifts. And that's how we need to approach this topic together. And so that grace can't come from me. And that grace can't come from the study that I did this week. That grace has to come by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's ask him to help us now. And so Heavenly Father, we pray right now that you would use your word and that you would speak by your spirit. And Lord, I, I pray for clarity. God, I pray for wisdom. I pray for you to lead and to direct, Lord. 
And Father, I pray for people who are here who aren't single. I pray that we would be better equipped on how to empathize and how to help and strengthen and encourage those who are walking in singleness right now. I pray for those who who are single, Lord, that they would be blessed and encouraged and challenged where they need to be challenged, Lord. So God, I pray that you would do what only you can do, Lord. That you would take a message from one passage given by one man, Lord, given to hundreds of people, and that it would speak directly to the hearts of each and every individual. And so God, only you can do that. We need your grace. And so we pray that you would do that. God, we love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Paul begins in verse 25 with the phrase, now concerning. And if you uh, take a look at uh, chapter 7, verse 1, it says, uh, now concerning about the things that you wrote. And see, 1 Corinthians is actually uh, a letter that was written in response to another letter that was written in response to another letter. 1 Corinthians technically is kind of 3rd or 4th Corinthians because a number of letters have come back and forth and this is the first, this is the, this is the book of the Bible that God intended for us to have part of God's word and Paul is responding to a letter that he got back from them after he had sent a letter to them and they had a bunch of questions and Whenever Paul in 1 Corinthians says, now concerning, now concerning, now concerning, he's bringing up topics that they wrote about in their letter that they sent to him. And so he says, now concerning the betrothed. And there's a a footnote in my ESV Bible uh, indicating that betrothed means virgins. The NIV translates this as virgin. And uh, a virgin uh, doesn't necessarily refer to someone's sexual history. And if you know anything about Corinth, a lot of these people would have had a sexual history. But listen, the gospel changes everything. And it doesn't matter what happened in the past. If you have confessed that and repented that, God is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all iniquity. And so when he's talking about virgin here, he's talking about man or woman, anyone who is available and interested in being married. They might be engaged, they might not be engaged. And so he's speaking to this particular group of people. People who, in our day and age, we would refer to as single people. And... And so that's what he's getting at. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. And again, sometimes we we misunderstand what Paul's getting at here. Some people think about 1 Corinthians chapter 7 as some sort of like nearly inspired, not completely inspired. You know, he says, I have no command from the Lord. It's not that Paul like, okay, they wrote this in the letter. I'm going to go off and pray about it. And then he just writes back, he says, I don't know, i got no command, I'm just going to make this. That's not what he's saying. When he says, I have no command from the Lord, he's saying that the Lord Jesus Christ, when he was teaching on earth, he said some things about marriage, he said some things about divorce. But there's no command about singleness, about the betrothed, about these, these, these virgins, these people who are interested in getting married. Should they follow through and get married? So Paul is not saying you don't need to listen to what I'm saying here, because he goes on to say, By the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. That's how he describes himself. I love that. By the Lord's mercy. Paul's not saying, well, I know some things. And so I'm going to, he says, no, by the Lord's mercy, I've been made an apostle. By the Lord's mercy, I'm writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, whether he was conscious of it or not. 
by the Lord's mercy, Paul is someone who is trustworthy, who is writing the inspired and errant, living and active word of God. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 7 applies to us because all scripture is breathed out by God. Is anyone going to say amen to that? Amen. Amen. So he says in in verse 26, I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Verse 27, are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. And so Paul's initial advice here is, if you aren't married, don't seek to be married. That's the counsel that he's giving. He's counseling contentment here. He's saying it is wise just to be content with the situation that you're here. And that's what he's been uh, uh, teaching about In the rest of this chapter, he's been talking about slaves and he's been talking about different people at different situations in their society. And he's he's saying it's important to remain as you are, to be content with where you're at. But then he clarified, now that could crush some of us. He says, don't get married. Don't pursue getting married. And, and, and some of us are, well, I want to get married. Or I'm glad that I'm, I'm married. Does that mean I've done something wrong? But again, Paul clarifies very quickly, verse 28. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Listen, if it's not a sin to get married, it can't be a sin to want to get married. If, if the act of getting, marriage, getting married isn't sinful, then the desire to have that happen in your life is not a sin. And so if you, if you are here today and you're single and you desire companionship, you desire intimacy, you want to start a family, you want all of those things, that is not a sinful desire that is in you. It is not a sin. But... Paul now is going to get into one of those pitfalls, one of those ways where we can really get off track in pursuing Christ in singleness. And here's the first one, that our singleness or our marital status should never be the source of our identity. It should never be the source of our identity. It can't just determine who we are. You are more than just married. You are more than just single. And we covered in previous weeks about the importance of understanding our identity and who we are in Christ and everything that the gospel does to transform how we relate to one another and how we relate to God and how that determines our identity. It can't be the source of our identity. But Paul said, do not seek a wife Do not seek a wife, but if you do, you have not sinned. Why would Paul say that? He mentioned it earlier in in 1 Corinthians 7. Look at verse 7. He says, I wish all of you were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. So Paul is saying, if you're single, it's okay to stay single. And then he mentions this idea of a gift. He says, each person has their own gift, in verse 7. One of one kind and one of another. 
And if you're single right now, then that is a gift that God has given you. If you are married right now, that is a gift that God has given you. And the Apostle Paul is probably referring to something that Jesus said in Matthew 19. This is what Jesus said about the issue of sinfulness. He uses a term, a eunuch, which is describing someone who's unmarried and incapable of, of having uh, children. He says, but he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. So there is a certain gifted group of people that have been given something special, and they are the ones who can receive what Jesus is saying. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, some sort of physiological thing that prevents them from marriage and everything that goes along with it. And there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, just a wicked and horrible practice that was a practice among, among leaders or rulers that they would castrate the people who were serving close to them. And then, but then Jesus says, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. And this is, I think this is how Paul considered himself, that he had been given this gift. He says, let the one who is able to receive this, able to receive this gift, receive it. Now, when we talk about the gift of singleness, some of us are like, okay, that's a gift I didn't ask for and I can't return And it's sort of like this crushing burden. You need to understand that singleness is seasonal. And even if you are single and will one day be married, the fact that you are single now is a gift. There are opportunities that are afforded to you. There are ways in which you can serve. There are decisions that you can make right now as a single person that is a gift that a married person simply can't make. But we can't allow this to determine our identity. Jesus determines our identity. Verse 29, Paul's going to explain further what he's getting at. He says, this is what I mean. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Now, what is he saying there? Is he saying, don't, go, don't come home for dinner? That's not what he's saying. He's saying that the gospel changes everything. And if you happen to be married, you no longer look at your marriage through the same lens. It is viewed as something different. He goes, he goes on to say, if you, in verse, in verse 30, and who mourn as though they were not mourning. That doesn't mean that you should go skipping into your grandmother's funeral. No, you still mourn, you still grieve, but you know that there's something deeper, there's a a deeper meaning to your life than the grief that you're experiencing right now. In the same way, he says, and those those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing, this isn't telling you to be a killjoy and to never laugh at a joke or to celebrate on a special occasion, but it's understanding that the, the mourning that you're experiencing is not worthy to be compared to the joy that's coming your way, and the joy that you're experiencing is not worthy to be compared to the joy that's coming your way that there's something greater than marriage there's something greater than your grief there's something greater than your joy that is where your identity is supposed to come from and those who buy as though they had no goods that's what we talked about last week that God provides everything for us to enjoy 
And yet there's something deeper. There is a wealth. There is a riches that is more than the things that we have. And that's where our, our identity comes from. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. He's not encouraging us to go and become hermits. No, he's causing us to think that the gospel changes everything. And we no longer look at at the world through the world's lens. We now look at the world through the lens of eternity. At the end of verse 31, for the present form of this world is passing away. The present form of this world is passing away. Listen, if we had to pick like a verse that would really sum up this changes everything... It would be 1 Corinthians 7, 29 to 31. That your, your marriage is changed. Your finances have changed. Your mourning and grieving has changed. Your dealings with the world has changed because you are now living for something greater. This changes everything. This present form, this present world is passing away. That when you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you understand that you are a sinner in need of mercy, and when you understand that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and died in your place and rose again to give you the gift of eternal life, to save you from eternal punishment away from the presence of the Lord in hell, and to give you a place in heaven, to have your name written in the Lamb's book of life. If you know that, that changes everything. It changes the way you understand marriage. It changes the way you understand singleness. Here's how it changes. Some of you are here today and you're like, okay, I'm all for like the seasonal singleness thing, okay? I really, want my se- I really want my gift of singleness to be temporary. You also need to understand that the gift of marriage is temporary. We began the message by saying we all start out single. If you're married today, one of you will be single again. And we need to understand that. And we have no control over when that will come about. And some people are here today and they're single and they're grieving and they're mourning. But they mourn as though they are not mourning. They aren't like those who grieve, who have no hope as they're described in First Thessalonians. It hurts. It doesn't mean it hurts any less. The pain is real, the loss is profound, but their identity is not defined by being a widow or a widower. Their identity is found in Jesus Christ. Even if you were to remain married until Christ's return, we need to understand marriage is temporary. In Mark chapter 12, Jesus said, for when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage but are like angels in heaven. And Lindsay and I have had the blessing of being married for, I think, 13 years this summer. And uh, I love Lindsay. And sometimes when I think about verses like this, I'd I'd prefer to be married. But God knows what is best. And the one thing that's true is there won't be marriage in heaven, but there will be love. And as great as our marriage is, our, our, our marriage is tainted by sin. But in heaven, we may not be married, but we will finally be able to love one another in the presence of God with a love that's more pure and more powerful and more devoted and more God-glorifying and more holy than, we, than is possible here on earth. That's why Jesus says, you'll, you'll be like the angels. So well, what, what does that actually mean? It, it's, 
there's going to be a whole different way of existence for us. And this, as it says here, the present form of this world is passing away. Singleness is passing away. Marriage is passing away. One day we will all be married to the Lord. We will all be in that permanent covenant relationship. We are his bride. We will be married to him. That is our identity. And so we need to keep that in mind. Don't believe the lie that you are somehow incomplete. We talk about being single, but we don't talk about being double. Singleness isn't emptiness. Singleness isn't that you're missing something or lacking something. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, fully human, fully in the image of God, fully complete before they were married. You are not missing something as you are single. You might feel that, but that is not true. You don't need someone else to complete you. God has made you complete. If you go into a relationship or into marriage expecting that person to complete you, you are putting on them a burden that they cannot carry and that will ultimately crush them and crush your relationship and crush you. You cannot ask a a present spouse or the dream of a future spouse to fulfill for you what only Jesus Christ can do. That's a word for singles and a word for married people. We sometimes expect too much from one another. You are saying, you are making a covenant commitment to someone who still has sin dwelling inside of them. To someone who will disappoint you, who will hurt you. To someone who is not Jesus. But one day, you will be in Christ's presence. And knowing that changes everything. And so we can't allow our marital status, our singleness, to define our identity. Christ on the cross, his resurrection, has defined who we are in him. Then Paul says in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. I want you to be free from anxieties. Here's the second thing we can't let marriage or singleness do. We can't allow it to become the cause of our anxiety. We can't allow it to make us more anxious than we, Jesus said there's already enough trouble in, our, in, our, in one day. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about whether or not you're going to meet that person tomorrow. Don't worry about whether or not this gift is something you're going to have for the rest of your life or whether it's something that is seasonal. Paul writes this. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. Then he says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. So he creates this contrast of a person who's unmarried and a person who's married. Now sometimes we, we overly simplify this and we, we tell single people, Oh, hey, good news, you got less to worry about. At least you're, at least you're not married and you don't have the, the worldly troubles that Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians 7. You don't have your, 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 your interests are not divided. When Paul's talking about this unmarried person who's only concerned about Pleasing the Lord, he's talking about people who have like that eunuch gift of Matthew 19. He's talking about himself. It's a whole different category. The one category of person that Paul isn't addressing here is the person who 
wants to be married but isn't. And we completely miss the boat when we tell someone who wants to be married but isn't that they have less to worry about than married people do. And this is why we as a church, as married couples, we need to become good at listening to single people. And as single people, we need to become good at listening to married people. And we need to become even better at sharing what is happening in our hearts. Paul wants them to be free from anxiety. You see, the the young people or the unmarried people, the widowed people in Corinth, found themselves under a lot of anxiety. Found themselves under a lot of pressure. Can you imagine a single person being put on pressure by other people in the church? But that's what was happening. You see, in Corinth, things were so messed up. If you just read the surrounding chapters, you could read it later this afternoon. In in chapter 6, there were some people who were so messed up that they were sleeping with prostitutes. But then when you get into chapter 7, they were so messed up that they weren't even sleeping with their own spouses. And they were sitting beside each other in church. You got one person who thinks they can do anything they want with their body at any time because they're focusing just on what Christ has done in them internally. And then other people who are just so legalistic and aesthetic that they think, that, that they, think they need to uh, ref- uh, refrain from sexual intimacy. And these people are part of the same church. And the more licentious these people were, the more legalistic these people became. And they were feeding off one another. And the poor unmarried person is like, I don't want to live like that, but there's the alternative, this hyper-conservative, never get married. Timothy experienced this in Ephesus too. In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul talks about people who were, who were outlawing marriage. And saying that marriage was, listen, marriage is not bad, marriage is good. God created it. He designed it. And to desire to be married is a good thing. It's a good desire that God has put in you. But that's part of the anxiety, isn't it? Part of the anxiety is, I want to be married, but God has not made that possible yet. And that tension of why isn't God answering my prayer? Is there something more I need to do? Or is there something less I need to do? Am I supposed to press on? Am I supposed to let go? And that creates a whole lot of anxiety. We need to do a better job of listening to single people in our church. How can a, how can a single person remain sexually pure in this world if they, if they don't have the privilege of being married? Single people can get anxious about the timeline. I'm getting older, and when I think about the steps that need to be taken in order to uh, get married is, is, well, I still, I don't, haven't found anyone yet, and then if I do, I need to kind of get to know them, and then there's the, then, then we need to start having uh, serious conversations, and then engagement, and then play, and, and you think, man, I'm already behind, and this whole process seems to take forever, and it's so unclear as what the next steps are supposed to be. These are things that our singles are wrestling. Wrestling with, wrestling internally. Am I, am I struggling with discontentment just because I want something God hasn't given me? And am I allowing that to become sinful? Is, is the desire to be married becoming an idol in my life? The telltale way to know if something's an idol in your life is not whether or not you want it or don't want it. It's whether or not you're willing to sin in order to get it. And so to have that desire, there's nothing wrong with that desire. But if you are sinning in order to 
take steps towards accomplishing that, that's where the problem comes. That's where idolatry is revealed. Am I being, am I being too passive in my pursuit of a spouse? Am I too aggressive in my pursuit of a spouse? Are my standards too high? Or have I lowered my... All of this second guessing, all of this internal anguish, all of this anxiety, this is what Paul wants us to be free of. How in the busy lifestyle that I live am I going to find time to invest in searching for a spouse? What about my kids? What about single parents? Who are thinking, how am I going to find someone that I like and that likes me and that, and that my kids like? And, and that whole, that, that's just another layer of anxiety. Another thing that our single people are wrestling with and struggling with. How does male headship and leadership as it's expressed in the New Testament as it relates to marriage. How does that apply in dating and courtship? which the Bible doesn't speak to. What is the role of the man in starting a dating relationship or a courtship? What is the role of the woman and how is that defined and how do we play out and all of that? Men, you've got to be really careful. There's, we just, speaking statistically here, there's a lot more single women in our church than there are men. And so you need to be very careful, very cautious in stating your intentions and defining the relationship as soon as you possibly can. And I'm not just throwing all the men under the bus. Women need to be doing that as well. But we, all of these things are anxieties, things that our single people are wrestling with and trying to trust the Lord with. Paul says, I, don't want, I want you to be free from anxiety. If you're single, it comes with a lot of worry. It comes with a lot of anxiety, but it also comes with a lot of opportunity. Paul talks about this single person, how they're, they're, they're anxious actually in a good way. They're anxious for the things of the Lord. They're anxious about being holy. They they have this sort of undivided focus on how to serve the Lord. And I love the example. There are so many godly examples of single living in our church. People who are spending themselves to build up Harvest Bible Chapel Brampton. People who are going to the ends of the earth as missionaries. People who are serving so faithfully in whatever context. You look at any ministry in our church, there's a single person rocking it. And that's what we are called upon to do. And whether you're married or whether you're unmarried, we are all supposed to be spending ourselves about how can I please the Lord in this present situation that we find ourselves in. Then down in verse 35, Paul clarifies, he says, I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint on you. He doesn't want, in his whole discussion about, hey, just stay single, he doesn't want to lay a restraint on them. If that desire to be married is there, it's not wrong to continue to pursue that desire. I don't want to lay any restraint on you, but I love this, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Here's the last thing, singleness or marriage, it can't be a barrier to our loyalty. Paul's goal is to set people free from anxiety. His goal is to 
also give them an undivided loyalty to Jesus Christ. We can't talk like, you know what, I would serve the Lord and I would get involved, but I just, I, I, my singleness is kind of holding me back. Your singleness actually isn't holding you back. According to 1 Corinthians 7, your singleness is actually a gift. It's an opportunity that you've been given, that you can use in your season of singleness for his glory. And, but on the other side, you can't say, well, my spouse, you know, I would be serving more and I would be more involved in making disciples, but my spouse is really holding me back. No. Don't let anything restrain you to have undivided loyalty, devotion to Jesus Christ. You know, it's similar, very similar to last week. Some people want to say that poverty is, is so close to godliness. Other people say that prosperity shows that God is really blessing you. Listen, it's not that poverty is better than wealth or wealth is better than poverty. It's that Christ is better than both. And in the same way, it's not that singleness is better than marriage or marriage is better than singleness. It's that Christ is to be the supreme center of our undivided devotion. We live in a, we live in a world today that really celebrates singleness like, no, like never before. I think it was the, uh, the, the 2005 census where the amount of married people was actually eclipsed, was actually passed by the amount of single people living in our country. And, and there's, a, there's a whole... There's a whole way of thinking in our culture that being single is great. That avoid commitment. Avoid all of things that would sort of tie you down and remain single. Or focus on yourself and on your career and on your academics and all your individual pursuits. That singleness allows you to do that. Listen, our world cherishes singleness because our world is devoted to self and to selfishness. Christians cherish singleness because Christians are devoted to Christ. And we need to be clear on that. Don't allow your singleness. It's not a gift for you. It's a gift that Christ has given to you for the benefit of others. Don't allow that gift to become inward focused and only thinking about yourself. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. 1 Peter 4, 7 says. And so I want to ask you some questions today. If you're sitting here today and you're single and you desire to be married, I want to ask you some questions that I, that I hope will help you determine, is my life about being devoted to Christ or is my life about being devoted to myself? People get married for selfish reasons and that's a disaster. People also stay single for selfish reasons. And that can also be a disaster. Married or single, we need to be devoted to Christ. The first one is just evaluating whether you've bought into the teaching of our culture. That you want to pursue your career more than pursuing Jesus. And because you're pursuing your career more than Jesus, you're also not pursuing a spouse. And so ask yourself, as I look at my calendar, as I look at the things that are on my mind, as I look at the way that I'm spending my time and my money and my effort, is there even any room for devotion to Christ, let alone finding someone that Christ would provide for me to be married? Here's another question. Does fear of rejection stop me from taking that initial first step towards someone? 
when we understand devotion to Christ and that Christ is devoted to us, once we know that because of our sin, Christ should have rejected us, but instead of rejecting us, accepted us, that changes everything. And so that you can, by faith, approach someone, a member of the opposite sex, and by faith, go up and start talking to them. Even if they reject you, knowing because you're devoted to Christ and Christ is devoted to you, that you, whether you feel rejected, you know that on the ultimate level you are accepted by Jesus Christ because of what he did for you on the cross. Some of you feel like, well, you know, I, I, I want to meet someone, but it's, it's, it's just it's so awkward. And I would agree. I remember the early days with, with Lindsay. It was awkward. But here's, here's the thing. Meeting someone's awkward. Dating is awkward. Engagement is awkward. Marriage is awkward. Listen, it just gets more awkward. You just learn to have fun with it. Right? Like that's... And until you're willing to cross that threshold and embrace the awkwardness, knowing that Christ is with you and for you and that he is devoted to you and that you are devoted to him. Other single people, you have no problem just walking up to someone and starting a conversation. The issue with you is it's not the first step, it's the next step. And this is why I'm kind of going after the men a little bit. It's easy just to sort of keep your options open and have fun. And some people are so afraid of rejection, they don't take the first step. Other people love attention, and that makes them afraid to take the the next step. Is not being willing to actually define or share your true feelings about someone. And whether that's telling them that you're not interested or whether that's telling them that you are interested, you need to be willing to tell them that, trusting the Lord and being devoted to Him. I see it, I see it in a lot of young men. I'm sure it's true of women as well. You need to be willing to take that next step to clarify where you're at in the relationship. Here's another question. Am I devoted to Christ or am I devoted to self? Do you avoid legitimate, neutral, non-sinful means of finding a spouse because there's some sort of stigma attached to it? There are opportunities that are available to us in our culture in order to find a spouse that were not available in the past. And one of the reasons is because our world has changed so significantly. You used to grow up in the same neighborhood. You went to the same schools. You ended up living in that. There's people that you just knew all of the time. You went to their church. You went to the same. All of that. All of that has completely changed. And so there are, there are new and different ways to try to meet someone. And some of us have it so fixed in our head that God, answer my prayer. I, 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 I want to be content, but I want to meet someone. And God, here's how I want to meet them. Here's how it's going to happen. And then they're going to walk in the door, and they're going to say this, and our eyes are going to meet, and it's going to... And we're so busy focusing on our plan, and God's just gently tapping us on our shoulder, being like, I actually have another plan. Would you be willing to try something different? I'm talking about things like allowing someone to set you up with someone else. 
I'm talking about things like using, again, a neutral, non-sinful way of some of the opportunities the internet provides. Listen, the internet provides a lot of horrible opportunities. You need to weed through that or maybe talk to someone about options that are healthy and options that aren't. But you know what? So many people in this church have met on the internet. I just want to acknowledge the elephant in the room. And when we talk to them in premarital counseling and that sort of thing, it's like, oh, how'd you meet? And they're kind of like, oh, you know. It's like, we met online, yo. Isn't that great? God is sovereign over all, including websites. And so we need, listen, I'm not saying, you got to follow your own conscience. And, and some people, they're still, they're, I don't want to force you down a road that you're not comfortable going down. But I don't want you to be, I don't want pride or fear of being stigmatized to stop you from allowing God to work in your life. You're devoted to him. Not to yourself, your own reputation or your own fears or your own little plan of how it is supposed to work out. And then the last, the last question, and I know this doesn't even apply to so many singles, but are you using your singleness as a gift to build up the church? This shouldn't be a motivation for serving. But, guys, Harvest Kids, it's full of single women. Show them how funny you are, how responsible you are, how nurturing you are, how strong you are by loving on these kids in front of this watching audience. Again, many people in our church, they met not at a young, young adults ministry or a singles ministry. They met working together on, at the youth group or on the worship team or in set up or town. All of these things. People have connected by serving. And when you don't serve, you're not first. It, it, it's bad on two levels. You're not using your gift for what it's been intended for. To free up time so that you can spend yourself on furthering the Great Commission. But you're also shooting yourself in the foot. Because that's a, that's a, that may be a way in which God is going to introduce you to someone. And I also, want to, I also just want to encourage you with this last question. Have you given up hope? It doesn't matter if you're like 23 or 53. Don't ever give up hope. Today could be the day. They could be in the room right now. And don't let that future somebody become your idol. You are devoted to Christ. But understand that when you're devoted to him, that you just continue to ask him. God, I'm anxious about this. Would you help me? God, I'm afraid about this. Would you help me? And trust and believe that he will look after you. And that he causes all things. Romans 8, 28. Let's take a look at this verse on the screen. And we know that for those who love God, those who have that undivided devotion to him, for those who love God, all things work together for good. Our marriages work together for our good, for better or for worse. Our singleness works together for our good, for better or for worse. For those who are called according to his purpose. Don't let singleness or marriage be a barrier to your loyalty. Go after the Lord and walk in his ways with all that you have and the power of his spirit by his grace. 
don't think that you're somehow a second-class citizen in the kingdom or are only able to be fruitful to a certain extent because of your present situation. The most fruitful, joy-filled, abundant, life-giving, multiplying life that was ever lived on earth was lived by a single person. They had that gift. You have been given that gift. That person is Jesus Christ. And he is the one who is worthy of our undivided devotion. And he is the one who is devoted to us. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. We come to you recognizing our identity in him that we've been justified by your grace, that we've been sanctified and are being sanctified by your spirit, that we have been made sons and daughters of God, that we are your servants, Lord, that we belong to you, we were bought with the price, God, and we know that we love you. And God, we want to take our fears, our worries, our anxieties, married or single, Young or old, we want to take those things. We want to cast our burdens onto you because you care for us. And Paul said he wants us to be free from anxiety. And he doesn't want to lay any restraint. And so God, I pray right now, Lord, that everyone in our church would know that they are loved. Would know that one day we will all be in your presence. And that we will experience that that wedding feast of the Lamb. That we will be presented pure and holy and blameless, spotless as the bride of Christ. And so, God, I, I pray, Lord, that you would do what only you can do in our hearts. And God, we began the message today asking for grace. And God, that's how we end. We pray that you would give us grace. God, there's so many situations that are so unique and so different. There's so much pain. There's so much confusion. There's also so much joy and contentment. And so, God, I pray that by your grace, you would help us all, that you would help us as a church, Lord, to love one another and understand one another better and bring glory to you, God. So, God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you, God that you are devoted to us and that we can have an undivided devotion to you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together. Let's respond in song. Let's give God our hearts, everything that's in our heart, all our worry, all our fear, all our anxiety. Let's just express to him a desire to live for him in undivided devotion, fully surrendered. Let's Let's give our hearts to him. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.